Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Charlie Bird. And I'm Ben Schwaddy. Each episode, we discuss a question that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. We're not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is, what's it like to be LGBTQ plus at BYU Hawaii? So Charlie and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we are both out of town right now traveling. However, there are some pretty big differences. For example, Ben is in Everett, Washington. Correct. You're home, right? And I am yeah. in Laie, Hawaii. So nice. Charlie, what took you to Hawaii? <laughs> it is nice. You can see the palms behind me. What's that? What took you to Hawaii? Uh, vacation. Um, <laughs> just two years of grad school <laughs> took uh, me yeah. here. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm here with uh, Ryan's family. And we've just been snorkeling and beaching and hiking. It's been awesome. It's been great. Sounds super fun. Are you visiting your parents? I am. I am not jealous. I am in lovely Everett, Washington, which I describe as the Ogden of Washington. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is either a great thing or a bad thing, depending on who you are. But it's great. That's yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm here spending a week with my dad. And I've been visiting my mom every day, and honestly, I'm. I've been taking a nap every day. I was really exhausted when I got here. Um, and it is also, it's wonderful to be here. Like, I love my family. It's so good to see them. Like, shellatis are a hoot and a total blast. It's also been really sad because I see my mom all the time and she's just not doing great. Ugh. So, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's good to see her and like hold her hand and go on walks with her and stuff. But she just like doesn't understand anything. And we would always like dance with her. We would make her dance and you can find like some old dancing videos on my social media. But she like doesn't dance anymore. And I was like, today I was like, let's dance, mom. And she like couldn't figure it out. I was like, oh, so mm. yeah, it's just hard to see the changes. So that's tough. I'm yeah. Sorry. So sorry to be a downer, but but you're in Hawaii. And <laughs> yeah, really I was like, cool. I feel bad. Like I was swimming with a sea turtle today. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're home. Yeah. Um, before we get started, I want to give a sound a shout out to our sound guy, Mike, because it has now been an hour and 20 minutes of us trying to figure out how to do this. But we finally got it. Hopefully the recording and, and the video and everything works. Um, but we're excited yeah. for this episode. And uh, we like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives. And today we're happy to be joined by ESA Wilson. <laughs> and <Aloha>. here he is. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I love you guys are like here. sharing ear an earbud. <laughs> I know. Old school. I'm, I'm telling you, sound guy Mike really would have come in handy this time. <laughs> but we got it rigged up. So great. Well, well, Yessi, tell us a little about yourself. Um. All right. I just uh, graduated from BYU Hawaii with a B uh, B F A in uh, general music. I I'm going to Arizona State University this fall uh, to work on a master's in conducting. And I am a part of an all queer, um, uh, what was that called? Cohort. So three of the master's really? co- candidates are, cool. are are all queer, and then um, the one doctoral candidate is a trans woman. And so, and then and then our professor that we're all sitting under, Dr. Sapon, is identifies as Mahu. That's the Hawaiian term for um, queer. We can talk about that later. And so we're just going to kick down the door at Arizona State this fall. That's cool. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, so, uh, uh, culture background: Samoan, Hawaiian, Filipino. Raised in um, Orange County, California, but I moved to Hawaii to reclaim that uh, that identity. And uh, so, yeah, now I'm a big advocate for LGBTQ issues here at BYU Hawaii, as well as um, my culture. And I will add that he's really nice. He gave me this lay. 
And it's my first one. It was like he like very ceremoniously put on my head. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, he, he tried to what grab it. Like, no, you gotta receive yeah, the I don't, love. I don't know the rules. Yeah, see, I have a question that might be culturally insensitive. I just don't know what this is like. So, you know, <laughs> as a what white a great way. What a great preface for a question, Ben. So this might be insensitive, so but I'm gonna ask anyway. Uh, well, so so like, you know, if people were like, Yeah, what's your what's your background? Like, well, I'm 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 English and German and I'm a quarter Lebanese, but like none of those cultures like influence my life at all really. Um so my question here is like like what's it like to be multiracial in the US and do either any of those cultures like have more of an impact on like how you see yourself and how you view yourself? Mm. Uh, that's that. Oh man. And, and you, on top of the ethnic cultures, we have the culture of being a member of this church. Right. And so those all really mix together. And I've just been so blessed to be, God has given me a chance to tear my, the learning about those cultures. I grew up with my Samoan side in California. Uh, and my grandparents are from Samoa. And then I served my mission, Samoan speaking in New Zealand. So I got to learn the language and, and I, that was cool. 2013, 2015. And then now, um, and my mom is Hawaiian Filipino. And so I got, I, after that mission, um, I just felt the draw to come to Hawaii and reclaim my Hawaiian side. And so I, I got to move here and learn more about the culture there uh, at, here in Hawaii. And then God brought me to BYU Hawaii. And then, and all my roommates have been like Filipino. So I've been learning more about that, that culture. And so it is, it's not an insensitive question, but it, it, it adds some added, added complexity um, especially if you go to Samoa or a Samoan ward, for example, I'll just talk about those. We have added mm-hmm. cultural rules that are added on top of the cultural things that we see in church. And so like, there's a, a bunch of different things that, mm-hmm. that happen. So that I'll just leave it at a cliffhanger there. What, what else do you want to ask? <laughs> okay. So it sounds like Wilson is a Samoan last name. Yes. It's totally Samoan last name. Actually, it, our triple great grandpa named Mangus landed a boat in Samoa. And so uh, everybody after that was Samoan blood, but the Wilson name carried on. My middle name is also Purcell, which is also a very common Samoan name. So okay. we have Scotch Irish in there too. So Yessi, you said that God brought you to BYU Hawaii. Tell us about like how you got to BYU Hawaii and what it was like when you arrived. Um, when I got to, uh, I never wanted to go to a church school. I grew up in a non-LDS environment in Southern California. And like the last thing I wanted to do, and this is, this is just me being me. I'm just not about the, I, I just couldn't imagine being a really mormon society. Um, but I love my faith. I love my faith, but some cultural things, I just couldn't imagine myself being here. But um, one of the aunties in, um, in Hilo, Hawaii, um, suggested I get in and she helped me. Um, apply and I, I I got in here and when I came here it was it was a time for me to explore myself um, and when I ba- went back in the summer I came out to my friends and family God I'm one of those rare people that um, God kind of grabbed me by the um, by the lapels and like you know it's time for you to come out to your family and I need you to take care of your LGBTQ brothers and sisters at BYU Hawaii and that that landed like a ton of bricks. Cause like, cause, and, and then this is what I do to God. I, I'm like, this goes against everything that I've studied when like, cause remember we, I did the whole two year mission to try to study away the gate and, and you didn't take it away. And so now you're telling me that I should like take care of my LGBTQ brothers, sisters and come out to my family. This is insane. And so I grabbed my patriarchal blessing to try to prove God wrong. And, um, and then um, the, the veil was lifted on this one section that talked about my mission. A fun fact about my mission is I was not, I was that missionary that everybody hated. I was in Samoa, we'd say Fiopoko. I was kind of like a smart Alec. I thought I knew everything. 
and um oh, and I totally relate it was to that. not no I, I, I you Ben <laughs> I, <laughs> over the obedience uh, just anyway I was I was not I would not have liked to serve under me but so the section that talked in my in my prayer to God blessing about my mission it's like oh you're gonna be so good at loving people and you're going to speak the language fluently and you're going to be a great teacher. I was not any of those things on my mission. And then the veil was lifted like, oh, those are the gifts that are going to come to me as I minister to my brothers and sisters at BYU Hawaii. And that has been the case as I have, I gave it a talk here at, uh, at a ward. And then next thing you know, like, you know, just, I shared, I shared my, what it's like to be LGBT, to be gay in, in the church. And then people just start coming up to me. And next thing, you know, over the next two, two and a half, almost three years now, I've just probably talked to about 200 um, different LGBTQ individuals from all across the 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 universe, the world. Um, that and I've it has opened my mind and it helped me realize, like, holy cow, there's so much that we don't know about what it's like to begin in the church and in other countries. And so that's. Mm something that I brought to the attention of our university president. Yeah. So it sounds like for a long time, your orientation was something that you were like pushing away or like felt like a wedge between you and God, but by accepting it, it actually gave you a lot of opportunities to serve. Yeah. It, it, it's present monsoons whom God calls God qualifies. And so if, if God gave me the green light, then I'm going for this, even though like it kind of like I had a religion professor say like the, the rule of polygamy is it's okay when God says it's okay. And like, and that's such a really good rule to explain the one why it's on and off at certain times. And so in my mind, like gay has always been off, off, off. But, but if God's telling me in a prayer, Hey, I need you to do this. And then things start happening, like having like five closeted roommates in about five different units, like, and then people come out to me like, Oh, this is, and we've had, powerful spiritual conversations and many of these people will never come out probably in their lifetimes because their country culture won't allow it mm. and so yeah i don't know where i'm going with this is that answering no. yeah no no i think that's an awesome insight into to what this was like for you i'm wondering like how you if, if that ever toggles still um let's see, like is is there still ever this like um kind of worry that you're on the right path now especially now, now that I'm going to Arizona state and I, I now need to look at my, I, cause I came out while I was here at BYU Hawaii and I, and I went, I went straight out of coming out into advocating for, uh, for us at BYU Hawaii. Now I need to see who is Yessa in the context of being in Arizona and away from a strong LDS environment. And I'm just, I'm really big right now on the concept of just rethinking a lot of things. I do plan on holding on to my faith and hopefully working with, uh, connections with Ben with people in the church out there in uh, in Arizona, but so many great people in Arizona. Some... Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I guess I'm asking because this this I mean this happens to me often, but a lot of people I've talked to it's like they felt this push to come out and to accept this part of them, but then there's always still, um, I mean, I, at least for me, I was raised in a very like. Um, like I hated this part of myself for yeah. so long. And then all of a sudden like that radical acceptance of it, like there's still moments when I'm like, Hmm, it does that make sense? Ben, what am I trying to say? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what you're trying to say is, are you asking yes, if you like got to a point where like, okay, everything is good and it's good forever. And is it ever, do you ever get to a point where like, okay, well actually I'm still questioning what I thought I knew. I'm asking, 
I'm asking, how do you hold on to that revelation from God? Yeah. It's... When, when your whole history pushed against it. Cause like, there's that whole chunk of your life where it's just like, no. And then God tells you yes. And you're like, okay, but it's, it, it's gotta still feel like a lot of that history is pushing against it. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I think I, I the the phrase I use with my family is I call it following the revelation breadcrumbs. There are just assurances that keep on happening, like the fact that you showed up in Hawaii at this time that I just graduated, uh, and and possibly been later on this year. Like this is it's kind of bizarre that these things these these assurances keep on happening, uh, or something will happen. Um, uh, with some some kind of drama in the church will happen for with LGBTQ individuals like like honor code or like. General, something said in general conference and these things keep happening and situations keep happening. And I go into action. I go on comforting these people and, and I just keep on feeling the spirit strongly that this is right. And so as far, so if I'm going to be honest, um, as far as a ministering perspective, I, there's, I feel so strong about it, but who am I as far as that, does that revelation continue for, will God let me date when I go to Arizona state? I want to, I'm, I'm going to probably, probably explore that and see if I, uh, what, what that brings and I'll make a decision then, but we will, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll just hit the refresh button then and we'll see what, 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 what God's saying then just follow the revelation breadcrumbs. If they halt, then that's a no, but if they keep going, then we'll just keep falling. I like that. The breadcrumbs. Yeah. That's cool. But I love this idea of, of like line up online and okay, I'm going to take the next step and follow these breadcrumbs. I, I would warn you against seeing Charlie and me as like answers to prayers, but, um, <laughs> you to say that. Oh my God. I'm just on vacation. <laughs> um, so let's go back to that moment when, so you, you feel this charge um, to like almost, you were talking about it as if it's, it sounded like a second mission, like this, the second like um, phase of ministering. Um, where did you start? Where did I start? It honestly, it is right after I was like on break after my first semester here and God's like, come out, take care of your LGBT brothers and sisters. The fall semester hits. I, and my, like one of my roommates um, was reacting to something that a certain apostle said when they came here and it was kind of insensitive towards LGBTQ individuals. And we just had a deep discussion. Eventually roommate comes out to me and I'm like, wow, God, are we starting now? <laughs> and, uh, and then like, oh, wow, I should probably do a talk about this. And so I came out to my family first and when, when I visited them in California. And then once I took that talk, or gave that talk, then that's when I just started getting flooded with people. And that's when the, the ministry just started rolling itself. It's just me and posting stuff that you and um, Charlie and, um, and Ben posted. I post those things, the more people start reaching out. And so it's it, it just like, a, like a, a ball going downhill. I'm not, I'm not, pushing anything other than like asking to do a fireside over here. But that's other than that, it just rolls on its own. It reminds me of Doctrine and Covenant section four, where it talks about the field being white and ready to harvest. And if you have desires to serve God, you're called to the work. And, and, and I, I feel that there are so many people in this space um, and we need each other. And, and like all of us, like we're, we're ripe for ministering. Um, and there needs we need more connection and community in this space, and it's it's really beautiful that um, you felt a call to step into the space, and then you went with that, and then all of a sudden, 
like you had work to do. And, and I think it's a, we're, it's a work that we're all doing. The way I would describe it is like if we look at a field, it's like like if we look at the whole church as the this gigantic field, there's this section of LGBTQ people that's just like, oh, yeah, you know, we just we just let the litter gather over there. We just we, we won't actually fix up that section yet. But now I feel like it, we're all called to tend this part of the vineyard that we've been neglecting and mm -hmm. as our lgbtq brothers and sisters and for me that's been a lot of international students um that's like kind of a unique color that i bring to the vineyard but that that's what how i envision it it's just we're all called to the vineyard but right now we're drawing attention to a different side of the vineyard that our brothers and sisters who are members of church they want to serve they we we've been taught to be loving and caring i just don't think they don't they understand our stories well enough to know how to minister to that side of the vineyard and do to have those tools. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. See, tell us, tell us about working with, uh, you know, these, these closet roommates you talked about and other LGBTQ students. Oh my gosh. Lots of just holding and crying and people not knowing how to articulate these things. Like, like take a student from Indonesia, for example, coming from an Islamic nation, just, and now coming to America and, and actually coming to terms like, oh, I, I may fit under this gay label, not being knowing how to talk about this. So that's one that's one example. Um, another thing that I hear, this is very common about Southeast Asians, particularly I'll talk a lot about the students in the Philippines. Um, what people don't understand about BYU-Hawaii is we have what's known as the IWORK scholarship for these international students to come here and have a very, very... Uh, subsidized education that is really beautiful and they just got to return to their countries and make a difference uh, over there and it's such a beautiful system and um, what happens is you got to let's imagine somebody out in Nowheresville of, of Philippines in, in a little village and they're the first student to or first child to get a collegiate education they're going to America they're members of the church just what is the expectation for that person when they come back other than what good they're going to do with their education in the church there is an absolute expectation for these international students to come back. You are going to be a bishop, state president, relief society president. This is just how things are. There's that expectation. And, and these students mm. feel that. And so, and while they're in America and they're, and they're dealing with the, these feelings now, they don't want to disappoint these families because now it's not just coming out to your families and your family's not disappointing you. Now there's a higher expectation to be a church leader. That and, and which is why they're always being asked to get married because you need to become one of those church leaders, and that's a higher fall from grace for them. And and then if they do come out, they it's in some situations the parents will love them and my oh yeah my family will love us, but what will happen to my family if I come out? Then all the all of a sudden the the culture Culturally. of the, the is just going to eat up that that family like oh your child went to america and look what happened to them and and they do they don't want to put their families through that so i hear stories like that so often that is absolutely break my heart sorry if this is getting too deep for no no that it's it's like heartbreaking and fascinating like i've never considered any of those things before um and like i almost want to like replay what you just said right now so i can listen to it again and just let it sink in like all of the additional factors that are at play um, for an international, um, basically for someone who's like not white and gay, right? 
um, or American and gay, which we, which like, is a majority of our church, right? More than half of us are outside of the U.S. And like the work that we've been working on so far, especially you two, has is not any fault of your own. Is we're starting where we're at, yeah, right. But like we, I, what I stumbled across here, or what God called me to here, is a realization like, oh, that's right, we're a worldwide church, and we are ahead, so far ahead with what we're doing here. Um, Actually, I'm not saying we're not ahead. We are making up for some some tough times in the church here, but we can get ahead in the, all these other countries if we. And so, my dream here, as I as I work with the BYH presidency and and just talking to these students, I have friends from uh, my friend the Honti from Guatemala, my friend Terrell from Malaysia. Um, I can let me just stick with those two because they interacted with me. And they've they've asked these hard questions, and we just they they understand where I'm coming from. When they become a bishop or a state president or whatever, and they have a, a a gay child come to them or youth or member, they'll know what to do, and they'll be able to hold their wards and stakes accountable because they know. And then all of a sudden, we can get these these wards and stakes to be safe havens for LGBTQ individuals, possibly. Um, if we can just get these international students to interact with us and know our stories. It's a really, really beautiful vision that I think matches with what BYU Hawaii was built for. And David, David O. McKay's vision for us was that students will go abroad and they will be peace builders among the nations. And I can totally see that happening as we start incorporating that missing part of the vineyard. Yeah. So yes, as you were talking, so these students you mentioned, they're they're straight students from other countries, countries that aren't as affirming as as a place like BYU Hawaii would be to LGBTQ folks. And so you're saying is as they interact with you and with other LGBTQ um, students there, they're going to take what they learn back to their home countries, and hopefully create an environment of 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 of, of love and, and kindness, uh, similar to what what might be in 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 Western countries where, where it's, it's more accepted. Absolutely. We're talking about these, these, these students from, from places where like, okay, they're from a Muslim country. So it's not okay to be uh, out and, and gay there. What, what do these students need? You know, what, what, what do they need on, on their journeys coming from places where, where it's not okay to, to be LGBTQ? What a fantastic question. What I, what they need while they're here is to know that they're not broken <laughs> and, and everything that, that all three of us say is, and they need to know that they're beautiful children of God and that having either identifying as an, on any part of the queer spectrum isn't a hindrance, but it could actually increase their discipleship and their ability to serve their communities. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm studying to be a conductor. Like my gay side is a part of my expressive side, you know, like it's a, it's all en encompassing. And so I think what they need here, like everybody else is it's not a different answer is they need that same validation. But, but, but I guess going back to their countries, we need a whole systematic change over there um, that, that none of us have the power to do individually, but which is why I work with I, I, my ministry as I'm comforting people has really been focused on like, well, let's train up all the straight people over here so we can start like hammering away at that. I love that you said um, that your ministry has often looked like holding people. 
um, and just like letting them be who they are, where they're at and, and making that spot safe. Um, I mean, I feel like this, this conversation is incredibly eye-opening for me. Thank you for sharing. Um, but for me, I just think of how overwhelmed I have felt and I do feel still um, as I grow and progress and learn more. Like it, it can be very overwhelming to be a gay member of the church. And I'll just think like being, having exposure to these other facets that come into play. Um, I can't imagine how overwhelming that could be. And so just to just hold someone in that space and like help them feel okay. And, um, and, and does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. I love the way that word you used. It was, it was very profound. I think. As you guys were talking, I was thinking about the, the hymn because I haven't given much and just thinking about, you know, my privilege, you know, I can be openly gay at BYU and it's, it's great. And my family says, you know, whatever you choose is fine. And I have all these, all these options and, and all this privilege. And, and because I've been given so many opportunities, you know, what, what can I do to, to reach out to people? And like, like, like you, yes, you know, you know, hold people and, and be with them and, and hopefully educate people so that when they, they go back to where they're to, to, to their, to their home, it's a place where, where they can, they can be just as loved as they are, you know, being, being held by you. Yeah. I think, I think something that, let me just uh, give some credit to somebody who does that well, who who has hugged me a couple of times, and that is our president at BYU Hawaii, President um, Keone Kawe. Um, he is always the first to say, yes, I love you. Um, and he's told me that before, like, you know, the university president just taught. But then I, when I just graduated, you know, when you shake your hand, their hands, you go down like, congratulations, congratulations. When the president grabs me and gives me a bear hug and says yes sir calls me by name thank you i love you so much thank you for all the work that you've done here that means the world to me to be that's and he it didn't take much yeah for a for a member of the church fortunately he's the president of the university but just to know that I'm loved here. And every time he's ever been asked a question by some students here, we'll do, he'll do what are called talk story sessions and uh, students, he'll just sit in front of every, of all these students and they'll just raise their hands and ask questions. And one of the students, um, my good friend, Brandon was like, is there a place for LGBTQ individuals here? And, and he's, he says, I love each of my students that are here. They're there. You do belong here. Things like that is what, is what members are doing for me here and the rest of us. I don't know if that's a weird tangent to shoot off into, but that's one of the things that my, where my brain went from what you said. Well, I think it's beautiful though, because there's this part of us and, and maybe I should speak from an eye perspective, like he- hearing that um, I just was reflecting on how there's this part of me that I hated for so long and that was only fed hate for so long. Um, and then, and then there was this moment when I was just like, maybe someone can love me in spite of this. Um, but it sounds like what you're saying is this, this person that you care about and who is important loves you not in spite of it, just like because of it almost. And just, and, and like sees the whole you and, and loves you and like offers love to that place that never received any for so long. And I think that's such an important thing to know. Like if you're looking to be an ally in the space, how important it is to, to like, care for that that part of the vineyard right like that part of someone's soul who has only been fed hatred and 
from either a culture or a community or most often probably from themselves to, to take that and give it the, the tenderness and care that it never received. I think Ben knows where I'm going to go with this because when we're talking about being fed hate culturally, um, one of the things I haven't addressed yet, oh, I, I mentioned my the director I'll be standing under identifies as the Hawaiian word mahu. And um, let me introduce you folks to, to three words. Uh, one's Hawaiian, one's Samoan, and one's Tongan. Mahu is the Hawaiian word for somebody who identifies as being queer or third gender, um, a, a third gender that embodies male and female characteristics. In Samoan, it's the fa'afafine. And in Tongan, it's the fa'afafine. And so what's interesting and to me and really validating to me is that we, uh, let me just talk through the Hawaiian lens. The ma- mahu today modernly has been used as an insult, like, oh, look at that mahu over there. And like, it's just insulting, right? Just how queer used to be a bad word. But then uh, as we've done more research into this, being mahu were the mahu individuals way back when were healers. They were the storytellers. They were they had a valued part of society. Uh, chiefs would actually have... Um, some of them would have male partners. They're called Aikane. Kikamemeha III had an Aikane partner that after they came together, he made the that Aikane a co-ruler. Uh, but then, but due to um, Calvinist Christianity, like this can't happen, right? And and so, um, one of the one I want to say it was one of the leaders in Kauai found out that this was happening and planned an assassination. Started beating up this. Um, this icon of of King Kamehameha the the third, and so and then that that freaked him out, and he had to leave. And so, anyway, that's just a little part of the Hawaiian. The reason why the reason why I bring this up of why that's so important to me is me being I, gay, which is on the spectrum being mahu and queer, is actually genetic for me. It's in my genes, and it's in my Samoan side as well. Now, now. Samoans, if you see uh, a man that's dressed as a woman, there's a, and this also happens in Hawaii, is sometimes they're just born more effeminate, and we, we can see that um, here in America. But in Samoa, it's all about labor divisions and how you do work. And so if you have all sons and you need somebody to do women's work, sometimes the parents will designate a child, like, we're going to start dressing you up like a girl because we need somebody to do this for our family. But then there are some that are more effeminate, and then they they start being they start doing those chores naturally and, and because they identify that way. So, so in Samoa and in Tonga, those are very similar. These individuals are functioning in society as, as being that, that kind of like a third gender over there. However, they can never be in a relationship. They can embrace that side of themselves, but, and you can watch documentaries on this about how like the, with, I'm not sorry. This is gonna sound like I'm tar- targeting Christianity. I'm just just talking about the realities of what it's like over there. But um, they'll, they'll get called out by pastors and things like that. But they're just trying to live their lives. So here in in America and in Westernized countries, when these islanders move out, now they have a chance to possibly explore relationships. But they but if any of them here, for example, at BYU Hawaii, if they are going back to those islands, that can't happen. So it's just it's kind of this really interesting situation of being like exposed to, hey, you can have this, but when you go back to as no, you can't have that because as a whole country, as a whole culture of a country, that can't happen. So you can be fafafingi, mahu, or fakaleti, but um, 
but none, none of this whole like actually getting in a relationship kind of a thing. So there's a added that's how complexity. it is now, or that's how it used to be. That is how it is now. Okay. Uh, Hawaii has gotten better, but uh, definitely Samoa and Tonga are not places that you could be in openly uh, gay relationship. Yeah, it's kind of messy, right? And, and yet at the same time, in these cultures, in, in Samoa and Tonga and Hawaii, it, it would be acceptable to to be Mahu or Fahafine. I'm so sorry about my yeah, pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> um, terrific. As, as long as you're not, as long as as long as you're not in a relationship. Absolutely, and you know what's so funny? This is what. Let me tell you. The, let's do an uptake here. Um, <laughs> when I was in my mission in New Zealand, what shocked me was. I was in Auckland, New Zealand, I was in South Auckland, Samoan Wards, and every member's house I went to, they have a stack of DVDs of Fafafine pageants, of them just like going all, all flashy, all the dancing, all this, just, just letting it out. And so they can they, they accept them as a form of entertainment and everybody loves it, but, but the whole relationship side just doesn't exist. But, what's, but when you talk to them, my gosh, some of the most spiritual people you'll ever meet. No shock there for us, but like... They're, they are some of my heroes when I hear their stories. Where could somebody go to learn more about this? Google. Like, just Google it? <laughs> I, I'm not, a, I am not a, a professional. I don't, I'm not. But uh, these are just things that I've, I've come across. Well, I, I'm, I was, that's fascinating, the story of, um, like, the ruler with his partner. Mm-hmm. And that's just, I never heard that. I'd be interested to read up more on. Yeah, I wish I, I wish I had more for you, folks. Uh, yeah, you, no, you've got a lot. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and yes, what, what has it done for you to like realize like the Polynesian heritage of like of of the, these different identities and like what has that been like for you? It's funny, is uh, because I grew up here in America. I I, I think uh, Westernly, which is why I'm so passionate about studying. In and, and why my brain holds all these fun facts for me to spurt out at you folks. Um, I, I identify as being gay right now. I feel like that's a label that fits best. But uh, as of right now, I, I'm not, it, do, it doesn't impact me too much. But because of the situation of so many people here at BYU Hawaii, I had to, I had to become more aware and have more conversations to, to learn, which is how I learned a lot of this. Jesse, thank you for sharing all that with us. Fascinating things that, that I'm learning about. And thank you for sharing with, with the listener as well. Um, talk to us a little bit about your relationship with um, the, the president of the university and how you got to a point where he knew your name and, and hugged you and and just tell more about your your experience with the administration. Thank you for asking that. I I found a way I can't say how to just send a message to President Kawa like, hey, I'm like you. I'm Hawaiian and I grew up in the in the mainland and I lived in Hawaii and I'm also LGBTQ. Um, gay um by use that whole acronym and i'd love to let you know what your students are going through i've already had he just stepped in as the new president of the university and so me i'm thinking like i gotta get my foot in the door now <laughs> while he so much like while he's gung-ho about serving the students and he's like sure i'd love to meet you can my vice president come I'm like sure bring bring brother cow and um and then we had a a, a zoom meeting together back in the heavy covid days and and by the, and and I read I read to him a document. Uh, let me pull it up on my phone. A document that you wrote. Yeah, a document that I wrote. Um, it's called "Stories from BYUH's Closet," 
And, um, and I, I just, this wasn't a study. This is just me going off of memory of all these people I met. I gave them about 27 different, uh, names, uh, or not names. Sorry. I didn't give names. I gave like a, a starting initial, what their gender was, where they're from and how they identified. And, um, and I, I just gave them stories and I, um, and I didn't tell them what to do. I told them, I trust that you will know what to do just from hearing these stories. And they read every single one of them. I love that. Can you, can you share some of them? Gosh. Is that? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll put some, we'll put a trigger warning here. Um, for, for some people. Um, I, I mentioned some of these on with Papa Oscar, but let me go through a couple of them. There's a male who's from Fiji who identifies as gay, who was a convert and was advised by state leadership to marry a woman, did divorce her and ran away with what would later be an abusive boyfriend. He since returned to the church, but not without being shamed by his local church leadership. Um, I have a friend from Hong Kong who's, who identified as questioning at the time uh, was a failed abortion by a mother who didn't want him to be, uh, who didn't want him and was ping pong back and forth between her and her homeless drunk husband. He found the church and served a mission, but has same sex attraction and now wonders if the church is even a place for him now is now chasing after being rich and is as his only hope of being happy in life. Um, we'll, we'll skip over some of the rape ones. The ones I talked about with um, the Filipinos and, um, and Thai people of uh, not being able to return home is a very common one. We have, um, let's see here. Yeah, this one says, oh, these are two different Filipino males. Both are being pressured by their family to marry while the parents consciously suppress their authentic feminine sides of themselves. They, they, they discourage them acting that way and they each want to be loved, but are aware they will return to the Philippines and must take on high leadership callings as is expected in their local culture. After returning home with a degree from a CES institution, both are contemplating moving away from their families to mainly avoid the shaming that will come to their families for having gay sons. And that's something that I failed to mention is the need to, escape and so we i can't speak for all of asia and south and and polynesia but we come a lot of us have what i call village mentalities which is very different from how we're raised in, in america we in america it's like you do you and you you make your chase after the american dream but for a lot of us it's like no you don't leave this family you, we nobody's kicking you out of the family you actually don't ever leave us and so this concept of running away from a family to try to find figure yourself out culturally a lot of us aren't built to do that unless you're being sent away to work in a richer area and send money back to the country um so that's that's hard for a lot of them and i can go into more about it let me just say something that i have not shared ever before at the top of this document um the day i was meeting president Cowley, this phrase came to my mind and i said each of these individuals have fought and many continue to fight like lions to stay in the faith, but even lions can't fight forever without nourishment and without a pride to support them. That's so beautiful. Wow. Yeah. If, if anyone's like me, I'm just thinking like, man, I, I want to help, right? Like I got to help these people because they're children of God and they're hurting. And, um, and like, I I know I have such a strong testimony. Um, like you were saying before that like the field is white and ready to harvest. Like there are people to help, and that there's work to be done, and, and that God sees these people 
and will inspire you to know how to help. Wherever you are, whoever you are, if you have a sincere desire to lift God's LGBTQ children, you will receive revelation. Like the spirit will speak to your soul quickly because there's work to be done. And I, I'm grateful for that. And I'm like feeling slightly overwhelmed. Like I'm, I'm learning a lot of things that I, I didn't know before. Um, but I just like God is in this. God is in this work. I love how you um, you said that in this meeting with with the president of the university, you shared the stories but didn't tell him what to do. Um, I think that's that's incredibly powerful um, because that's where like personal revelation kicks in. You know, like you you see the problem, you feel you have this desire to help, but God is going to tell each individual what to do, when, and how. And where? Yeah. And, and this is the drum that, you know, I beat all the time of building Zion. And we build Zion by letting people into our hearts and minds. And and you gave the president, the vice president of BYU Hawaii access to hearts and minds. And yeah. then personal revelation could talk to them and their stewardship to help them know what to do. And, you know, just like Charlie, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like, like, oh my gosh, what can I do? And it, uh, you know, it feels, um, really heavy to, you know, how do you, how do you change the culture of a family in the Philippines? You know, I, I don't know how to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think that the, the answer to all of this is, you know, building Zion by knitting our hearts together and sharing stories. And, you know, thank you for elevating the voices of, of your friends there. Yeah, I, I really, I have a lot of faith in the membership of this church because I believe in what we have been taught here. This, the, if, if Jesus Christ is really at the head of this church and, and Heavenly Father really is a loving Heavenly Father that will give revelation, we merely just need to be able to amplify these stories. And I believe and I trust the membership and President Kawe that those natural instincts of all that we've been taught our lives will kick in once they get it, once they understand that this is not a choice. Once, And that's what I've been doing most of the time here at BYU Hawaii when work with uh, with straight individuals is just giving them that base structure. And then now that you understand where we're coming from, you just ask God, you're going to know what to do. Yeah. Everyone has the tools to help. Yeah. They just might not know where to use them. Yeah. And, and you don't need to understand yeah. what's going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. You know, almost every time I give a fireside, I, I quote um, president uh, Ballard from a, a talk he gave in 2014, uh, where he says that the experience of same sex attraction is a complex reality for many people. The attraction itself is not a sin, but acting on it is. Even though individuals do not choose to have such attractions, they do choose how to respond to them. With love and understanding, the church reaches out to all of God's children, including those with same-sex attraction. And then I, then we go through like like the important like points he says there. Are those principles that people um, in Southeast Asia, like members of the church in Southeast Asia and in Polynesia, understand that this is a complex reality? It's not a choice. And as a church, we should be reaching out with love and understanding to people with same-sex attraction. I can get really in big trouble for saying this, <laughs> but uh, that because that's a very fair question. But if I were to answer honestly from the stories I know from my own uh, experience of being with Samoans and Tongans and, and being Samoan Hawaiian, I just don't think they're there yet. But that's the exciting part is they can be there if we can get the, the future leaders of those countries here at BYU Hawaii to engage with us and they can get there. Um, yeah. 
and it, it sounds like, you know, thank you for your honesty. It sounds like, you know, Elder Ballard was saying, you know, back in 2014, something that, that, that a lot of church members haven't, haven't understood yet. And honestly, I'm not sure I even understood in 2014 either. You know, I, I was still, you know, battling my, my own demons back then as well. And, you know, I think that if, if we could just help people understand well, what the church is currently teaching um, and also sharing our hearts with people, you know, we would be in, in a much better place. I think I think the root of this, uh, and I th- I think like Papa Oster is onto the same uh, theory that I'm onto, is that this is a bigger issue than just LGBTQ. I think the issue is culture. Um, there are things that we just do culturally, and I've seen uh, Elder Bednar. This is what got me on this whole thing to try to uh, fix culture. Is Elder Bednar came over to our mission, and he's like, "How many of you have ever heard somebody say, wait, what is the phrase? Did we thank the priesthood for?" reverently mm-hmm. passing the sacrament and invite them to be seated. And we all raise our hands. Yeah, I've heard that. He's like, that was spreading do- false doctrine. And we're all like, whoa, wait, what, where? He's like, let me say it again. We thank the priesthood for reverently passing the sacrament. Do you see the issue? Is we're calling the men the priesthood. Men are not the priesthood. We can hold the priesthood. But this is something that has culturally been spread around and everybody's using. And now people don't, like now a lot of the women in the church think that men are actually the priesthood. And so that keeps it cycling and so that so i see apostles like uh elder bendar for example just at and and you can hear in his talks is he's like let me try to fix this cultural error and if you look at the new testament after the the gospels the apostles are going around everywhere like let's fix this cultural error let's fix this cultural error and so the the things that need to be sweeped up is is actually bigger than the lgbtq community we need to start holding ourselves to more to doctrine and and stop with all these extra cultural things that that are out there and that and that a lot of that does come from um Paul, from not Polynesia, from our own ethnic cultures. Like for example, in, in Samoan culture, uh, in New Zealand, where it's colder, you weren't allowed to pass the sacrament unless you wore a suit coat. Where does that come from? I don't know. And so, the I think one of the ways that we we start chipping away at this is uh, as members of the church start looking at the the things that we do and like, is this doctrinal or is this cultural? Or is this a policy policy thing? That sometimes that helps me. Those are three boxes. But the the starting place is is this thing that I'm doing, or how I treat people. Is this rooted in doctrine, or is this rooted in culture, either from this culture that's been spread around the church, or culture that comes from uh, my ethnic background? And I mean, again, I feel like this feels overwhelming, but at the same time, it makes sense because you just like spoke so eloquently to the fact that so many of these. LGBTQ individuals are strong souls who are fighting for their faith. Like we fight for our faith to hold on to it because sometimes it feels like everything in the world is, is like pushing us away from it. And, and that's not to discount the faith work that anyone else does, but it's, it's, there's like weird nuance and intricacies to being a gay member of the church. Um, and, and of course, like, of course the adversary would want us to be confused about our identity, about who we are, about how we fit. And of course, there would be so many cultural and personal and like all of these factors that like just create little, little lies away from God's gay children knowing who they are and, and feeling that they can root themselves in the love of their savior and the love of their family. Um, and, and like the way just, again, just, the way to fix that is to to listen to the spirit to like root ourselves in the gospel of jesus christ 
Yeah. And, you know, just going back to that phrase that the, the yes, they wrote of, you know, we fight like lions, but even lions can't fight forever and need to be nourished. Mm-hmm. And just this idea that, you know, as we work on, you know, focusing on, on the doctrine of Christ and, and, and the core teachings of the church and not so much on culture, like we'll be guided to know how to nourish people. And yeah, I, I think that's sure. a beautiful thing that, that, that people have to fight on their own. Uh, but we, this is something we can all link arms and do together. For sure. Um, I did have another thought too, arguably less profound. Um, I was just going to note, Ben, that you can quote from memory an obscure quote from Elder Ballard from 2014, but you still don't know the outro of our podcast. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and I just need to sit down and memorize it someday. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my bad. <laughs> the spirit still hasn't consecrated the outro yet. <laughs> oh, it's so long. Anyway, <laughs> we do. It's just long because we're trying to cover our bases. We're like, listen to other people. Yeah. It's not just us. We're not telling anyone what to do. We reserve the right to change our minds. Please listen to other people. But also follow us on YouTube. <laughs> and check out our instagram <laughs> actually on that thought i've been thinking of i would love your thoughts on this um another turn i've been thinking a lot about the 11th article of faith lately mm-hmm. and that is which i'll read is oh do you know it already yeah i know go for it. it go for it it's we claim the privilege of worshiping almighty god according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege let them worship how where or what they may I just quoted that to an atheist last week who heard my story and, and he's like, wow, that is so inclusive. And he was blown away by it. Like, I'm like, yeah, but we could do a better job of following it. I think uh, if we're looking contextually, Joe Smith is talking about other religions, but what if we did that within the church and, and let, like, let me take care, be in charge of uh, my repentance process and let, maybe this is too uh, aggressive, uh, but I just, why don't we just let people govern themselves according to the, to the dictates of their own conscience and let them worship how or what they may let them bring their, their gay spouse to church and let them, and, and if they, if they want to go through the church discipline, let them choose that. Like I, I've just, it's been on my mind a lot lately as I've been ready to transition and to, uh, to, <laughs> without that kind to, of transition, to, to ASU, to, to, ASU. <laughs> 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 to the mainland. Yeah. <laughs> Just a thought that I threw out there. That's a good thought. Thanks. Uh, yes, I have a leading question for you. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, how have you experienced God's love while a student at BYU-Hawaii? Well, well, Ben, like you and Charlie, I can't hear these stories without without some higher power support. The stuff that I've heard it has broken me time and time again, but I just keep getting pieced together and ready to take on another story. And... And that every time it starts getting bad, God gives me more help, whether it be from the presidency or, or Charlie visiting Hawaii. It's just, it's just kind of funny how the, that's how it's been happening, Ben. Revelation breadcrumbs, he just drops them, and I'm, and I'm ready to go for another round. <laughs> it's the nourishment. Could you? Yeah, you're a lion. You get some food. <laughs> you're ready to keep fighting. Yeah. <laughs> could, could you tell us what that's like? Like, hear a story, feel broken, and then like to have God piece you back together. Like, like talk to us about what that feels like or what that looks like. 
it looks like <laughs> hearing a, a a girl who's triggered by a a, a a gay woman who is triggered by dogs because she was uh, sexually abused as a child by a person who had a dog, and so that's why she's afraid of dogs. That's me hearing that on a on a Friday, and then Saturday I have to teach a Sunday school lesson, and and the lesson has everything that I need to recover. And then I have to stand in front of people and I love asking open-ended questions like, can you help me with this? And so things that people say in Sunday school help me um, to, to affirm what I'm going through and, and help me find some answers. That's, that's one of many ways um, that it happens. It's not always so immediate. Sometimes God lets me sit with it and think about it. And, but, um, but that's, that's one scenario. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I'm I'm thinking about a listener who's like, I want to be involved, like yes, he is. Like, I want to do these cool things. I want to talk to the university president, and I want to I, I want to collect stories and share stories. Um, what would you say to someone who's like, I really want to help? It seems I've heard some of your recent podcasts. Is you folks are on the same train of thought as I am is the concept of deliverance is we're all waiting on deliverance. <laughs> like hopefully something comes soon. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we are all members of this church and we all have the right to fix the culture. We can't all <laughs> um, change doctrine and policies and it is okay to speak up to our local leaders um, in a loving way. And, and like I, I've said this uh not here, but when I came out, like my, my dad tried to fix me a few times. We've had a, a, a couple arguments. We have a better, stronger relationship than ever before. But like, I realized I had like, I knew I was different slash gay since I was like 10. So I had like 15 years of being homophobic. And so I, I ought to give like my, my parents 15 years to like, cause they can't be any more homophobic than I was to myself. And so like, but with that, with that same grace, we need to offer that same patience when talking to our leaders, that we don't need, like, have the courage. Oh, let me say this: have the tr- courage to get in the room and have the conversation. I, I often, I heard from a, a Hawaiian put, uh, activist um, that you know when we're waving signs and things like that, it's too late. And and I'm, that's not to say that waving signs is bad, but have we done our best to get in the room first to have dialogues with people, and and are are we in the right frame of mind to have a mature conversation? And especially in, in, in the church and at church schools, we need to be able to hold it a conversation in, through the lens of the church with language that a lot of them will understand. Once we start dabbling a little bit too much on the political side, we lose them, especially if they're a little bit more conservative in, in, in the church. Um, so I think that's one of the things that we really need to do is do whatever we can to to get in the rooms and, and have faith that God will will put words in our mouth like he did Moses. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. <laughs> it, it really is. And it, it reminds me of, I mean, I just finished a social work program and we had a lot of policy, policy classes and advocacy courses. And so many of the principles are things you're saying and they're things that I try to do in my life. Like if I'm feeling angry, if I'm feeling bitter, vindictive, I, I say, okay, what in this could I, like, like I'm going to hold that emotion. I'm going to recognize but with that power, am I going to move closer to someone or put distance, right? If I'm, if I have a goal, if I want to talk to someone, where are they coming from? How can I meet them where they're at and then show them where I'm at? Um, and I just, those are amazing principles. 
I like it. Yeah. I'm glad that they're grounded yeah. in research. You know, as, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As, as you guys were both talking, you know, I, I've been thinking about, you know, the work I did when I was living in Tucson and how fun and, and great that was. And, and now, you know, what I get to do in, in Utah, which I love as well. And, and yes, you're super far away from all the places I've been, you know, like being called to do something really, really cool. And I'm just like so grateful for the work you're doing. And, and, you know, you just like came out of nowhere, you know, it's like you, you felt called to do something and you, and you did something. And so, you know, going back to this original question of, you know, what's it like to be LGBTQ plus at BYU Hawaii? Um, and I, I guess, you know, the question could be broader, like, like what's it like to be LGBTQ plus, you know, any, anywhere in the world. And the feeling I'm getting is God is going to call someone to take care of you and to help you. And maybe God is going to call you to help someone and take care of someone too. You know, maybe mm-hmm. God is going to call you to, to fight like a lion for, for someone else and to, to help, help build a pride. And just this idea that, 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 you know, we're not in this alone and that people are going to just like pop out of nowhere um, as they're called to do it. And things are just going to work out the way they're supposed to. And, you know, I hope that people feel that, that in the end, uh, we're not going to have to be alone. I'm just very grateful for God pulling me to BYU Hawaii because this is such a special, special university. And apostles have said that there have been more prophecies about this university than any other church universities. And there's a lot. And with this beautiful diversity of not just ethnicity, we've all had to adjust to being in in a totally different environment. Local people from Hawaii, this is not like normal Hawaii here in Laie. And then we'll like um our our population is 63% international. So if somebody comes from Nowheresville, Kentucky and comes over here and they've only been surrounded by uh, one or two ethnicities, there are they, there's an adjustment that needs to be made here and 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 oh is this what it feels like to be in a minority like yes it does that that's, that's exactly what it feels like and so everybody here at BYU Hawaii has this beautiful situation where we've had to all learn how to adjust and build Zion and share the commonality that is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that has been enough for our university and and we we continue to make these connections and. And it's on that foundation that I've been able to to build this this ministry here that I that I know many others will, will now continue forward. I, it couldn't have happened anywhere else than here at BYU Hawaii in this beautiful, diverse place that has been consecrated by our Heavenly Father. Love that. Thank you so much for sharing your heart and your knowledge and your experience and just your goodness. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for taking this time. Wow. really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this or other episodes, please consider leaving a review, following us on Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook at Questions from the Closet, or sharing this podcast with someone you love. And as always, please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University, Hawaii, or otherwise. We are not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until next time. time.